0: Hey guys, Dave Menz, Laundromat Millionaire here in Cincinnati, Ohio, and my wife Carla and I, we are excited to launch the Laundromat Millionaire Business Podcast. Uh, our first couple episodes are going to be a series episode, and what our, what our goal with this was, was to sit down and tell a very transparent, very real uh, version of our story. We asked uh, Jordan Barry of Laundromat Resource, we asked him to kind of be our guest host, and uh, he, he, he knocked it out of the park. He, held us, he helped us tell our story. For sure.
1: You get to find out how we really became, well, he became the laundromat millionaire. My part in that journey, the struggles and the victories.
0: One of the reasons I wanted Carla to join me on this is because I wanted to give the other side of the story. She's not a natural entrepreneur. She'll admit that. Um, <laughs> and, and But the reality is she's been along my side every step of the journey. She's been what I call the brains behind the scene of making our business run. And one of the things that I think really brings a strength uh, to our business from day one of our entrepreneurial journey is that we run everything by each other. I bounce ideas I have off of her and she looks at things through a very different lens. And so part of this uh, multi-part episode series that we're going to talk about with Jordan um, is, is just my side of the story and then her side of the story. So we hope you guys will join us on this crazy ride. Tell your friends, uh, but now we're just going to get started with the recording with Jordan. And uh, we thank you guys for coming along for the ride. We hope you enjoy it. I am going to figure this out, or I'm going to close the business down.
1: He gets so excited.
0: And he realized, our net worth is over a million dollars.
1: His business name is going to be Laundromat Millionaire. I was like,
0: no. Elevate the industry. If you want it bad enough, nothing will stop you.
2: Well, guys, thank you for, man, what a huge privilege to let me come and interview you and hear your stories. Thanks so much for, for letting me do this. Thanks yeah. for being willing to. We appreciate oh, man. it. Oh, man. No, seriously, man. It's my honor. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing your guys' stories straight from your mouths. So let's jump into it. And I want to go way back. Tell us about Baby Dave.
0: Um, yeah, fun, fun fact about baby Dave. I was actually born in Walter Reed army medical center, which is, I told everybody when I was a little kid, that's where the president goes when he gets sick. Um, that's where I was born in that hospital, uh, which a lot of people don't know that about me because they know I'm from Flint, Michigan. Uh, my dad was in the air force, uh, when I was born. So we lived in Washington, DC, not too long after that, he got out of the air force, the military went back home to uh, Flint, Michigan. And that's where I kind of grew up the first, uh, i guess 10 or 11 years of my life uh which that's all where all my family all my friends were and that's where my parents had grown up basically their whole lives so that was kind of home to me when i was a little kid a lot of people know of uh, flint michigan for kind of the water crisis nowadays Yeah, part of the reason we we left flint was my dad saw that uh, the area was it was never great but it was going downhill quickly and he he just saw it as an area. He felt like he needed to get his young family out of, uh, you know, kind of a dangerous part of town. So he started looking for job opportunities in other parts of the country. And so what I tell people is really the first 10 or 11 years of my life. Uh, I grew up in you know pretty extreme poverty because, uh, you know, my dad was just an entry level position. My parents were very young when they got married. They actually got married in high school. And my brother, I was the second. They had my brother when they were 17 years old and so yeah the first 10 years of our lives or so my parents were kind of you know behind the eight ball financially for sure and then we when i was 10 or 11 we moved to cincinnati that was kind of you know kind of the beginning of uh, probably us being more uh, lower middle class um because my dad got a you know pretty decent job uh when we moved to cincinnati he was in the it field and so slowly but surely he was a grinder himself and kind of worked hard you know he wasn't an entrepreneur he was an employee at a local hospital here in cincinnati and kind of worked his way up in the it world and eventually you know by the time i was a young adult my parents were probably more middle class uh, which is what a lot of people know me as not realizing you know what the first 10 or 11 years of my life was like but there's those those life lessons of growing up very poor and and not having anything you know the first 10 or 11 years of your life they kind of stick with you um, even though my dad you know worked really hard to kind of pull us out of poverty so yeah that's a real you know real quick kind of synopsis of my childhood i'm sure my parents if they could choose for them to raise their kids in a little bit different financial situation at least they probably would have but you know i kind of wear it as uh you know i don't know if a badge of honor is the right way to put it but it's made me who i am today and at 44 i don't claim to be perfect but i like who i am and it's absolutely uh, brought me to this place in my life that I am. Those really, really tough life lessons as a young kid have, you know, definitely kind of molded me into the man that I am today. They've made me incredibly ambitious. They've made me very stubborn, very driven. And so, I, you know, at the end of the day, I, I wouldn't change anything about my life, even though I, I dealt with quite a bit of adversity, you know, in my childhood. So, yeah, that's kind of my, you know, that's baby David's story. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, that's great. Well, it's funny because when you were saying that you're stubborn, Carla was nodding her head pretty vigorously <laughs> yeah. over there. Uh, <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, I mean, anybody that's known me for more than two minutes knows that I am stubborn to a fault. Those that knew me probably pre-30s, that was not a good thing. But those that know me now, you know, a little bit older in life, I like to think that at least most of most of the time I use that stubbornness and kind of channel it for good. You know, stubbornness, stubbornness of used for bad can be really, really a bad situation. Now and she's gonna agree with that too. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, as I get a little bit older, I like think I matured at least a little bit and you learn to use that stubbornness, which is just part of who I am. You can't change who you are. But I've you know, I've learned to use it for for good. Because if I decide to do something, there is like unless you're gonna kill me, you're if I decide to do something, you're not going to stop me. And if you use that for good, um, like helping others and building businesses and serving your community and things like that, it can absolutely be a positive uh, personality trait for sure.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I know growing up in extreme poverty, you know, my early years, a lot of people don't know my early years. No, I didn't know that. Super poor also. And similar to you, like I've taken a lot of lessons from that period of my life. I'm just curious, you know, I want to hear about Carla's story too. uh, But before we get to that, I'm just curious if you have maybe like one or two things that's really stuck with you. I know that stubbornness is is one of those things that's a positive trait now. But um, if maybe if there's one or two things that stuck with you that maybe has helped you uh, find the success that you guys have
0: found. There, there's definitely many things. I'm trying to think of a good example of one. Uh, just from our up uh, a broad big picture perspective, you know, I just remember pretty much my entire life, you know, even as a young teenager, to be honest with you, when you're when you're poor, you you have really nothing. But when you're lower middle class, you have the necessities, but you still don't really have a lot of extra. You don't really have many luxuries. You just kind of have a roof over your head and food, which is very important to have. There's, there, there's certainly not much extra there. And so one of the things I just remember from my childhood very vividly, and certainly when I was younger. Is it just seemed like everyone had more than me. And I'm just talking material possessions, but I'm talking like the cars that my parents drove, especially in my young childhood, were embarrassing. I'm sure for them and for me. And, you know, when you're a kid and even a teenager, it's, I mean, it's mortifying. And I just remember being, you know, I played baseball growing up and I remember like all the kids on the team, not all, but most would have at least a decent glove. And, you know, for the most part, they had their own bats. and some of them had like the really nice fancy bats and stuff. And I like had yard sale glove and was borrowing my friend's bat, you know, or using the team bat.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, you know, that, that doesn't exactly stream, uh, you know, there's many people in the world that would, you know, kind of laugh that we call that poverty in, in the United States. So everything in life is relative, I suppose. But I just remember, it just seemed to me like everybody had things that I didn't have. But the interesting thing to that is, and, and I, I can't take credit for it, because I guess it's just who God made me. I never once remember resenting people for that. I I never remember looking back and saying, like, I hate you because you have this or because you have a nice car. For me, it was it was a driving factor. And I mean, I was the kid at five that was like, I would mow your lawn if you would let me start that lawnmower (laughs) because I wanted 10 bucks or whatever. And I would shovel your driveway before I could pick up a shovel. I don't I don't know how to channel that into a great story. But at the end of the day, I just remember always feeling like everybody had more than me. But I also don't remember ever feeling sorry for myself or my family or being resentful. It just burned in my mind that nothing was ever going to be given to me. But I also looked around and I saw that I lived in America and I didn't you know, understand economic systems or anything back then. But I just looked around and was like, but you know what? I can get that. Like, if I want that bat, I can go get it. You know, I just got to go work for it. And I never sat around thinking like, man, but that kid don't have to work for his bat. So I've never, I've never really understood that train of thought. Um, It just wasn't a part of me, but it it absolutely drives me to this day. And it's not really even a material possession kind of thing. It's more about like a lifestyle and the freedom associated with that and the lack of stress. Cause when you grow up with no money, like everybody says, oh, talking about money is the cardinal sin. Well, I mean, it may not be talked about at the dinner table, but trust me, when you can't pay your rent, you can't pay your electric bill and and you know, mom and dad are fighting because they're trying to come up with 40 bucks to pay for your baseball season. And they don't do these things in front of you, but you hear them as a kid and like yeah. it creates this stress. And my, my parents would be mortified to hear me say that, but I just believe in being honest and transparent and telling the real story of my childhood. And those that knew me growing up, you know, I could have had a much worse childhood. So a lot of people do. And so I don't want to insinuate or suggest that I was like this in this terrible, terrible position. You know, I had two parents that loved each other very much and that loved their children very much. It was more of a financial struggle than, you know, I had a lot of things going for me that, that a lot of kids don't, but, but money and financial security and lack of stress. were not, we're, were definitely not those for sure. Yeah. Um, but that was something that was just really burned in my brain to this day. And it still drives me for some reason. Now it doesn't drive me to buy the material possessions It just drives me for um, that freedom of now, now that stubbornness is more like, I don't want to have to answer to anyone, but God, you know, I don't want to have to ever air to an employer. I don't want to ever say, you know, well, I have to do something I don't want to do because I don't have the money for my mortgage or what have you. It's Mm -hmm. more about independence and freedom at this point.
2: Yeah. And I think that's huge. And I think you're right. Like the the financial stress, it's it's kind of like, it just makes everything so much more difficult, right? And in, in a family and even just simple things like a baseball season that really doesn't cost that much money. But when you don't have the money yeah. and you want good things for your kids and you want them to be able to do stuff, it's very, very stressful. I get that totally. And it's, you know, on the one hand, you don't want to have to go through a situation like that. But on the other hand, if you can channel that into positivity and and changing your family tree you'll endure it to to learn those lessons but Carla, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of tired of hearing Dave talk. So let's talk about your story.
1: Well, uh, tell us, tell us about
2: Baby Carla.
1: Well, my story isn't as is inspiring. <laughs> I, I bet it is,
2: but I bet it's I inspiring know, in a different in way. in a different way, maybe. <laughs>
1: yeah. So um, I came from a very like middle class family. I'm from Kentucky, a very small town in Kentucky. I'm a rural community. Like I grew up surrounded by tobacco fields and cows everywhere. <laughs> So my parents, my mom stayed home with us until I, I'm the youngest and I started kindergarten. So she was there with us. And then uh, my dad worked for uh, Cincinnati Bell, which is the telephone company in Cincinnati because the town that I'm from is only like 30 miles south of Cincinnati. And they provided for us. Like I never, I never needed anything. And honestly, I didn't want for much. I mean, like I was very well provided for I know my parents worked hard to make that happen. And I know Dave and my dad like to talk finances and all that kind of stuff. Like my dad picked up all kinds of overtime and worked crazy hours to make sure that his kids had a better upbringing than they did. Because my parents did grow up poor. But I remember growing up, like I had no idea, like if there was ever financial stresses, I was Bliss, you know, like I, I had everything I wanted and needed, and I was just enjoying being a kid. And if I ever really wanted to do something, they made sure it happened. If it was a financial struggle, I never heard about it. I don't know, Maybe I was just oblivious. <laughs> so I just had like this super kind of idyllic American childhood, but I would say some of the greatest lessons for me were just lessons from my parents. Um, and the way they worked together as a unit to support the family and provide like a, a loving family environment that was so supportive. Like my parents always one hundred percent believed in me, loved me, and made me feel like I could do or be anything. So I had like so much support and so much love growing up, and I think that built like a confidence. I think that has helped me as an adult when there have been times of struggle or whatever there was never the question of, can we make it through? Can we do this? Mm -hmm. Because I've always known that I have that support network behind me, you know, that Dave and I have each other to go through anything that no matter what we go through, we're not going through alone. But also, I still have, you know, my family behind me. And, you know, I have have our faith in God that, you know, we're not going to ever not be okay. May we struggle sometimes? Possibly. You know, Mm -hmm. God doesn't promise that you won't have struggles in your life. But I don't, ever question that we won't make it through. So I grew up in this small town. Um, I was very academic. I was very into school, went to college. I loved school so much. I kept changing my major because I just wanted to major in everything. Um,
0: (laughs) That's a true (laughs) story, by the way. That is true. I still can't wrap my head around it. I know. (laughs) I just love going to school
1: and I love learning learning new things. I got my degrees actually in accounting, but I worked in public accounting for a year after I graduated in like a big corporate accounting position downtown in Cincinnati. I was an auditor. I took the CPA exam. I passed that, all that, living the dream. And I hated it. I absolutely hated it. (laughs) So um, I left accounting after a year and ended up, I wanted to do something where I felt like I was contributing because that was, I think, another big lesson with my parents and being from a small community. And my parents still to this day help. Everyone. It's just the nature of a small community. Like if you can, you do for everybody else. And you know, when you're in a time of need, they're going to be there for you too. And so I was raised kind of that way where everybody helps each other. And I think uh, being an auditor, I felt more of like a nuisance and just someone checking up on everyone rather than someone that's Mm. actually contributing and helping others. So I ended up looking into what I thought I would never be, which was a teacher, (laughs) When Dave and I met, that's what I was doing is actually teaching middle school math. I was on an emergency certification because they needed math teachers so badly in rural Kentucky. They were allowed to emergency certify me while I worked on getting my master's to be a certified teacher. So that's kind of the pre-Dave story of me in a nutshell.
2: Yeah. Well, a middle school teacher from, from a, an accountant is a pretty drastic right turn and you know yes. middle school is like its own species even oh, so yeah. even They're within crazy. teaching <laughs> middle school is unique.
1: Yeah. It was also like a major pay cut by the way.
2: Oh yeah, I'm <laughs> but, sure.
1: But I found what I really love to do. And that's and that's another thing I think that my parents bestowed in me is you work so much of your life, you need to be working at something that you enjoy. If you can, don't make it just a paycheck make yeah. it, you know, something that you care about and where you feel like you're contributing to the world in a positive way.
2: Yeah. I like that. Well, let's, I mean, can we get a little mushy? Like, can we talk about how your two stories <laughs> merge? I'm <Absolutely>. just curious.
0: <laughs> Nothing. Nothing's <laughs> off limits as far as I'm concerned. Well,
2: let's get mushy then. How did you guys, <laughs> all right. how'd you guys meet, get married, all that? Tell us.
1: So to Dave had actually been married before. He got married fairly young. Had a baby, fairly young, and then got divorced. <laughs> uh, didn't work out too well, but has a, had a beautiful daughter out of it. And then we actually, I was in my first year of teaching, had left accounting. We met actually through match.com. We're like you know, the match.com stories. We could be on the commercial actually ended in marriage. Right? <laughs> so we met online and this was before online was as accepted, right? We didn't go around telling everybody about that. It's a little more accepted now. We at first um, just talked a ton. and I know this will shock you, but Dave can really talk a lot. <laughs>
2: what? No. I'm surprised he's been quiet this long.
1: <laughs> I know. I know. He's, he's probably just curious what I'm going to say. So we talked for uh, it a month, month and a half before we arranged to have our first date and actually meet in person. And then we went out and I was like, you know, I like this guy, but he's kind of got a lot of baggage. So he was like, you know, just newly divorced. He had a kid. He had all kinds of stuff going on. And anyway. I, was a,
0: I was a mess. I'll just say it. <laughs> she won't say it because she's too nice. I was a hot freaking mess when I married her. And I still can't figure out why she married me.
1: (laughs) So we dated and I fell in love with, like, I knew he was not in the best place, but I knew he was a good man. He's a good man with a good heart. And I knew he could be a partner with me through life, which is what I saw in my parents. And that's what you want in a marriage is you want someone who is going to be with you through anything, through everything, support you and love you in the good times and the bad. So we actually, we he proposed to me about six months after our first date, and I said yes, and we got married a couple months later. It's kind of a whirlwind.
2: <laughs> That's a big time Match.com success story, right
1: there. I know there. they <laughs> really need to call us for the commercials.
2: Yeah, they should.
0: They, you know, we should consider selling advertising actually on our podcast. <laughs> Since this is our first episode, a few things I'll add to that, that I find is she and I have talked many times. And if we hadn't met, you know, I was 26 when we met yeah. and I had been married. Um, we had been together a few years and then married a few years and then divorced. And I had a, a little girl who, when we met was four and she, you know, was my world. She was my everything. I was a single dad, basically, and I had recently went through bankruptcy. It's that's why I said she won't tell some of this, but I will. Uh, I mean, when she when she met me, I was newly divorced. I was a single dad. My house was being foreclosed on, and I was going through bankruptcy. I was like pretty much the the worst pop- possible candidate to date on the place of the the face of the earth, other than the fact that my daughter was stinking adorable, and I absolutely use that to my advantage, by the way. So my daughter you man, you use what you got. I mean, yeah, I I didn't get a car lift my daughter got carved. (laughs) But anyway, you know, the interesting thing about that is we both talked and she, she says for her too, but for me specifically, you know, who I was and the person that I was before I was married the first time. And certainly before I had my daughter, she would not have been interested in at all, like for Mm. a second. And I'm not going to say that I was just a terrible human being. I was still the same guy was very immature, very interested in just running around my friends and socializing, somewhat stereotypical young adult, you know, my 20s, early 20s and stuff. And having my daughter, you know, as soon as I found out that she had been conceived, the first thing I thought was like light switch. Everything about me switched instantaneously to the entire world being focused on this baby that's coming. Nothing mattered to me except Mm -hmm. for providing for her and Caring for her and protecting her and all the things that all parents do or all good parents do, it tore out all those distractions of the things I was doing and focusing on that weren't really who I was going to be as a mature adult and a father and a husband. We never would have ended up together if it weren't in a scenario where I was a single dad. Is really what I'm saying.
1: Having a kid um, made him grow up.
0: It made me and be the I guy. I'd not that she grown would up, want to up. <laughs> And and she said, too, you know, she didn't go through a lot of the adversity that I went through and stuff. But, I mean, she's admitted, too, that, you know, if we had met when we were 21 or 22, she doesn't feel like she was the same person then. Maybe not as drastic as me. And so, like I said, I'm, you know, I don't want to call it fate or whatever. I mean, I, I, I like to believe it's God, but we met and we came together at a time that
1: that wasn't necessarily
0: ideal certainly wasn't a hallmark story uh, at least from the baggage i was bringing to the relationship but it was what it took for to bring us together and to give us the life and the family that we have so anyway, that's the version up to, you know, us meeting and falling in love and getting married. Uh, one of the stories that I like to tell a lot of that when it comes to, you know, us being entrepreneurs is, you know, on our first date, I'm a very straightforward guy. I'm very blunt. I'm just like, this is who I am. I'm not going to pretend to be somebody I'm not. And we had already talked a lot and stuff. And I just looked at her across the table at dinner. And I was like, there's only two things you need to know about me. I love my daughter more than anything in this world. And someday I'm going to own my own business. And that's it. That's all there is to this guy. I am no more complicated than that. And so obviously we eventually ended up owning our businesses and we'll get to that in a bit. But that's, you know, that was, that was actually how our first date went, And I could, you know, a lot of women be like, well, I think I need a little more substance of that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so looking back at it, obviously that wasn't a hundred percent of who I was, but those were, those were probably my two most passionate things about my life at that point, at least.
2: Yeah. You what did you, what did you think about when he said that to you?
1: Well, so from my perspective, like owning a business was not, it's never been a thing for me. My dad was always a little bit entrepreneurial, but my, my mom's very risk averse. And so she like always kept him kind of reined in (laughs) for the most part, but for me, so the first his daughter being his world, I very much wanted to have a family and with him, I mean, obviously I got an instant family because now I have a, a beautiful stepdaughter, but I wanted to have more kids. To me, my biggest thing that I wanted to make sure I accomplished in life was to have a family and have children and a husband that I could love as much as I felt my parents had loved me to give another generation that love and support that I got to grow up with. So his daughter being his world, that perfectly tied into my goal of raising a family and loving them. Just unconditionally. And then the second part, the owning a business to me, that said, okay, well, you know, at least he's got some ambition. You know, I could be along for the ride on that. It's not really my thing, but you know, I can support you. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> Little did you know the implications of that. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I know. She thought I was a normal human being. She
2: had- yeah. Uh,
1: well,
0: we won't get
2: that far. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So when you got married, obviously you were not the laundromat millionaire
0: bankrupt. I was literally Yeah, problem. I mean, well that's I literally that's for yeah. bankruptcy a few weeks before a wedding. I mean, I'm not that, exaggerating.
2: Yeah, that's what I want to kind of get at is because how did you get from newly divorced young daughter meeting somebody and getting married so quickly, you know, filing for bankruptcy all in a sounds like a relatively short span? How do you recover from from something like that and make something out of that? Can you talk us through what was life like after you guys got married and mm-hmm what was the path you guys took?
1: I would say the biggest thing to fix his mess (laughs) was honestly just smart decisions, being conservative and time for bankruptcy and stuff to come off your credit report and all that. It just takes time and good financial decisions. He was merging with me and I was very much raised. You never carry a balance on a credit card as soon as you you use it, you pay it off. So I like had, I had zero debt. I had a car that was fully paid off because, you know, mommy and daddy had bought it for me. (laughs) It's not really my doing, but you know, I was in a good position as far as all of that. We just made sure to make good financial decisions and we didn't make our life any bigger than we could afford. I was teaching full-time he was working at Cincinnati Bell at the time, full-time. So we both had decent jobs for our ages because we were in our mid-20s. We had a daughter that he had shared parenting us. So we had her half the time. We started off in an apartment and we made sure it was something we could totally afford. You know, we never ran up credit cards or anything like that. We didn't spend more than we could afford to spend. And we started plugging away to have savings accounts too. We after a year of being married, we found a home that we got a really good deal on. And we stayed there until just this past year. I mean, just really not overspending and being smart about how you use your money, about not having debt that doesn't help you further yourself Mm -hmm. (laughs) And time, just time of making good, smart financial decisions. That kind of stuff kind of falls off your credit history and you go to where now, you know, our credit history is wonderful the
0: bankruptcy's been long long ago <laughs> yeah and I'll, I'll say too, jordan you know from my perspective i didn't always make good financial decisions and i didn't know how to handle money properly and unfortunately you know financial education when you grow up in, in in poverty a lot of the reasons people are not always but a lot of reasons people are in poverty is a lack of education right and not like going to school education but a financial education and i certainly didn't grow up with that and didn't have that and so part of what led to my bankruptcy was my divorce you know that's a mm-hmm. tough thing to overcome financially. And that was certainly part of it. I probably wouldn't have been bankrupt if I hadn't been getting divorced. But the reality is I, I owned, I have always been big on, you know what? I own this. This is my doing. I put myself in this situation. I've always been really, really big on taking failure. I've never been afraid of failure. I've always been really good about taking failure and saying, Hey, it happened. It is what it is. It's not permanent. Now, what can I learn from it? Because Mm -hmm. I'm not dead. Like I got a whole life ahead of me. And at this point, I'm 25, 26 years old. So one of the things I did is look at a very different situation. And I eventually ended up in the place that she was when we got married, financially speaking. So we agreed on virtually everything. She agreed on it because that's how she'd been raised. And she'd always done that. And it had worked for her parents and it had worked for her. And, you know, her parents weren't wealthy, but I mean, they were financially secure, financially free. And so, you know, why wouldn't she look at that model and say it works? I had grown up very, very different. And I had looked at the situation and said, I'm, you know, I'm bankrupt. Obviously what I did financially didn't work. I'm smart enough to look at other people and say, well, what I did didn't work. Let's look around and see if I can learn from people that have done something a little smarter than me. It's not like I just became conservative with money overnight. I just said, Hey, I don't, you know, I'm 26. The bad news is I got to start over, but the good news is I'm not 86. And so I'm going to take these brutal lessons that life has dealt me or that I've dealt myself and I'm going to learn from them. And I'm going to use this divorce and marriage and, and I'm going to reboot because once again, every decision that I made was about providing a life for my wife and my daughter. And I was like, I'm going to reboot at 26 and I'm going to do things very differently. So we came from very, very different paths once again, and we reached this point of agreement on virtually everything, especially financially. And we came from a very different place to do it. We came there and came into agreement. And so, shortly after we got married, I didn't have any money, but she had a decent savings account. Neither one of us had any debt because I was bankrupt <laughs> and everything she had was paid for. And once she said, you know, we both had pretty good middle class jobs. So, you combine those two, live in a modest apartment and you're not killing it, but you're doing pretty well financially. And we had my daughter, you know, part of my agreement was we had to provide for her 100% financially. And so we took that responsibility on, and then we looked and said, okay, what does our life together look like financially and goals and ambitions? And at that time, as she mentioned, she was emergency certified to be a teacher, but emergency certification is just that. It's like an emergency.
1: It's temporary. You can only have it for a couple of years.
0: Right. And so she basically had to get her master's degree in teaching to stay in teaching. And when I met her, she was just head over heels in love with teaching. And so we we knew that was a priority. And so we looked and said, okay. Well, we, we don't have any debt. We are where we are. We don't want to go in debt. We made a couple decisions shortly after getting married that were financial slash life decisions. And as she mentioned, one of them was buying a fairly modest house. And we made made a decision that that was important to do. And then the other thing was to cash flow her master's degree. And so we didn't want to borrow any money. So we lived below our means in a sense of could have used that money for something else, but. We cash flowed her master's degree and she went to night school and worked during the day. We just were very disciplined and very goal oriented. And those two things were our goal, buying a house, a modest house, you know, repairing my credit, of course, and cash flowing her master's degree. And we knew that if we just kind of buckled down and were disciplined for two years, she would have a master's degree and we would still have no debt and we would be in a pretty good place. And I don't know if you have anything to add as far as the two year window, but she worked a full-time job, was newly married, had a stepdaughter for the first time, and she went to school at night.
1: Oh, also my job, because we met on match, but I still live down in Kentucky, and he lived up more in Cincinnati. So we met, but we actually lived an hour apart, and my job was down where I lived. (laughs) So when (laughs) we got married, I was also commuting an hour each way (laughs) and And doing my master's. But luckily, my school was on the way to his house, or well, our house now. So that
0: helped. <laughs> yeah. And so those, was crazy. I mean, those first few years were, you know, really tough on her. I mean, they were tough on me in a different way because I was still kind of a single dad and she was gone a lot. But, you know, we knew that there was a short-term sacrifice associated with that, mm-hmm. um, you know, to accomplish her goals. And that was really our only focus, you know, to that point was just getting her a master's degree, not having any debt. And we knew that it would take some time to kind of reboot my credit and repair it, so to speak. That would be our short term financial goal. Was to get get her master's degree and then kind of reboot our goals and dreams from that point.
1: Well, after that, I wanted to start having kids. (laughs) That was my focus. I'm like, get my master's done, and then we can start having more kids. Mm -hmm. So, and he was like, oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Like,
1: you want a business? I'm having kids.
0: That she's she's obviously being facetious, but I was so head over heels in love with being with my daughter and being a dad. Mm-hmm. It was a no-brainer for both of us. I mean, she had always dreamed of having children. And I don't know that as a little boy I dreamed of having children, but I definitely wanted to grow up and get married and have a family. But then once I had my daughter, I was mm-hmm. like, Yeah, I'll have more kids. I mean, <laughs> this is amazing. So she didn't really have to twist my arm. Is my point.
2: <laughs> All right. So now we're, you know, you're working at Cincinnati Bell, you're teaching I'm and teaching. going to school. You're not the laundromat millionaire yet. Okay. So. We are
1: definitely not. So I would say those years, he was more into building his financial knowledge than yeah. necessarily looking at starting a business. It was more like, it was, it was a learning time for him. So he was working Smart. at Cincinnati Bell during the day, but he was always reading books and looking online at different stuff just to build that financial knowledge.
0: The thing that I remember very vividly, um, is, you know, shortly after she graduated um, with her master's degree, it was like, okay, goal accomplished. What's next? Because we were both young. we were, I wouldn't say she was near as ambitious as me because I'm kind of off the charts, but she was definitely all about like making a better life for our family for sure. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we had a conversation one night, which I would guess that I probably started and I said, all right, we have your master's degree. We've got a home that we can live in for a long time. Cause it was a modest home, but it was a decent size. So we knew we weren't going to outgrow it. And I looked at her and I said, you know, you remember that first date when I said, my daughter means everything in the world to me. And someday I'm going to own my business. And she said, yeah, she said, well, before we start making new goals and plans for our lives, you know, if you're, if you're serious about that, then we need to start planning for that because we didn't really have any money or any nest egg. I mean, we had a small savings, but nothing substantial. And so once again, growing up in poverty, I knew nobody was going to hand me anything. And I had been working on my knowledge pretty intensely in my education. So I felt like I was becoming prepared to do that. But I looked at our finances and I was like, well, great. We have no debt. You know, we we live well below our means, but we also don't really have like, how would we buy a business? We don't have any money, Uh, you know, because everybody says that wants to own a business, doesn't own a business, want to have the money to buy a business. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we certainly didn't have all the answers. We didn't have near the, the financial education or the business experience that we do nowadays, but we were at least smart enough to understand that we had to continue to live well below our means and essentially squirrel away the the money we had been spending on her her education rather than increasing our lifestyle, which is what a lot of people would, you know, would do in that situation. Another
1: thing we did was so the house that we bought was big, it was nice, but it was very outdated. So I, a lot of those first years together were building sweat equity in our house too. We were constantly doing home projects because we knew that we've got a good price on our house. So we automatically had some equity kind of built into it. And the Mm -hmm. more renovating we could do, even with our own labor, the more our house would be worth and we could, you know, borrow against potentially for a Mm -hmm. business venture. And then around that time once I finished my masters is when Dave finally started looking at business opportunities. And ended up being not just reading the books, reading the articles about business, but he started looking at stuff like um much, and so they were, much
0: you heard his name? <laughs> so
1: <laughs> I just never knew how far one was going to go because one thing with Dave is he says you know he's all in. Well, when a new idea comes, he gets so excited that he jumps in, you know, 100 thousand percent right and you don't know (laughs) and and he like gets so excited and he's all over it but then like after you give him a couple days to delve into it more and examine it and all that kind of stuff a lot of times he comes up and he's like yeah that thing I was so excited about yeah I don't think that's really gonna work you know and I'm like (laughs) so so for me he would get all excited and I would just be sitting there thinking, okay, is this one going to, I wonder, is this excitement going to last a day? Or is this like a for real thing? Or just like, you know, a week, like, what are we looking at here? <laughs> but in Part of the kids,
2: creative process. You got to let the man work. What kinds yeah. of things was he excited about out of curiosity? Oh my gosh, there was, people are going to love these.
1: I know <laughs> there was the, the weirdest one was probably these beanbag chairs. he <laughs> <laughs> They're like
0: these, these I'm gonna giant like beanbag an right chairs. Now. And
1: he was like, so into the business or whatever the business model or whatever and um so that was uh, one we were going to sell beanbag chairs luckily that one didn't match the
2: so beanbag long. millionaire <laughs> would have an awesome ring to it That's i'm just, just saying the laundry I'm that was just quite saying. One. Um,
1: <laughs> there was a uh, flipping cars he like Bought it and we did one car. He bought a car like on an auction. We did make money. We like cleaned it all up and he ended up selling it for more than you know paid for it or whatever. But it was a pain in the butt. Oh my
0: god, a lot of work! Yeah, (laughs) probably like two dollars an hour. I paid myself,
1: yes, yeah. He he made money, but it wasn't good money. And then we looked at flipping houses um, because you know we've been doing all these renovations our own house. We're like, you know, we could do some of the work ourselves, and and we went pretty far down that one with one house and learned that the entire basement had been flooded and was covered with mold and we're like yeah no that's not a good buy (laughs) not too long after that was when he came across a laundromat that was for sale on craigslist not very far from our house and uh, he came home all excited about it he's like look what i found and he had already driven by and checked it out and walked around inside and you know i'm in the same mode of okay is this going to be like a I'm excited today and it's not a good idea tomorrow, but you know, I can't say any of that to him because he's really excited and he wants me to be excited too. So right. I have to, you know, kind of pretend. And-
2: <laughs> You're a good wife. My wife's like, that's a dumb idea. Like don't, that's dumb. I, I mean,
1: I, I'm supportive. <laughs> and then I just kind of ride it out to see if it's going to be like, is it going to stick or is he going to, cause he gets over it himself. You know, he figures out it's a bad deal on his own. So I don't usually mm-hmm. have to say too much, but anyway, so he's like, I want to take you to it. So he took me to this laundromat. Oh, my gosh. And I know because I edit videos for our, your YouTube channel. Uh, <laughs> when you and Dave do things, this would definitely have been a zombie mat, as Brian Grell would like uh-huh. say. Uh-huh. <laughs>
0: she is so proud of
2: herself
1: right now. You have no idea. I know. I actually like so no. sound like an
2: industry veteran, and it sounds I like know. you need I to come on like my it. podcast and talk laundry <laughs> with me.
1: This was, oh, my gosh. It was, it was scary. And he walked me into this place, and it was dirty, and it was dingy. Uh, there was a homeless guy living in the back of it.
0: Like, living, like not sleeping living, for the night. Yeah, with a sleeping
1: bag. He was the like security.
0: <laughs> the owner was letting him live there because yes. he cleaned up. To keep an eye on it. Anyway. No kidding.
1: And uh, and it's I it's more common walked in. than we oh, like yeah. to think.
0: Yeah. Jordan's not surprised, <laughs> yeah, no, I <I'm> can.
1: <laughs> I walked in and my eyes were big and I was like, oh.
0: <laughs> Dave's seeing do, gold <laughs> and you're seeing the trash. <laughs> I'm seeing
1: not pretty. I'm like I'm gonna, I would not want
0: to do laundry here. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna take over because this is like a pivotal moment in my life and I remember it vividly as if it were yesterday. I have every bit of excitement that she's describing, like probably times ten, because I actually believe this could really be it. And this is like probably a week or two later. Like this isn't just the same day. I've actually done a little bit of homework over a week or two. And we're walking through and I'm just over the moon excited because I just see potential everywhere. And I didn't know, I would have a clue how I was going to do it, but I just saw potential. And this, by the way, this was a couple miles from our house. This is in Amelia, Ohio, where I grew up at that point in my, now it's been probably over 30 years, but at that point I had lived there for probably over 20 years. So I knew this local water mat used to be just booming and it wasn't anymore. I'll never forget that we walked through there and we walked through and I showed her this and they showed her this. And I'm like, I'm like, I know it's rough. We're going to have to do, you know, I have to be in here doing some work and we're going to have to remodel and paint. and We're going to fix it. You know, probably 80% of the machines are out of order. I mm-hmm. said, so we're going to have to, you know, get these machines fixed. And she was like, well, do you know how to fix them? I'm like, well, no, but I'll figure it out. And she's just like, hey. <laughs> you know, she knows not to like, you can't jump in front of a runaway freight Yes. Yeah. I mean, you can, but it'll run you over. Right. not going stop. You're not going to, stop. to not gonna stop the freight train. <laughs> and she is. I've always said I married someone that is very, very smart, and she knows not when to not step in front of that train.
1: But I was um, scared.
0: <laughs> she, yeah, but, I bet you are. And I finally just couldn't contain myself. And I had, you know, pitched my pitch and whatever. And I look at her and I said, "What do you think?" And she just goes, "I think I want to leave." <laughs> and I was like, "What do you mean you want to leave?" can we go? (laughs) And I was like, are you okay? She goes, I I just, I don't want to be here. I want to leave. Okay. So we went and got in the car and I'm like backing up and I'm like, (laughs) I don't know what to do with that. (laughs) I'm like, I don't know what to do. Like I didn't expect her to be excited, but I was just like, give me something. Like I want to leave. What does that mean? And she was just like, were you not scared of there? And I, I grew up in once again, a pretty rough area and I'm just like, are you for real? We're in Abilio, Ohio. Like what's scary? Like, The the scariest place in Abilio, Ohio is like not scary. That's probably that laundromat. <laughs> it probably was at the time. Yeah. Actually, it probably definitely was. And I, I just thought like, that was your only thought was you want to want to leave. It was and the,
1: scary.
0: And the interesting thing. <laughs> and granted,
1: thing, I have lived a pretty sheltered life.
0: She had, she had for sure. Mm-hmm. And it, it takes quite a bit to really intimidate or scare me physically. You know, we're driving home and I'm just doing damage control at this point. I'm like... This is really, actually, kind of a pivotal point once again in my entrepreneurial journey, because I don't know that prior to that point I'd really given a whole lot of thought to how I would run a business. I mean, I knew that I don't, I don't really do anything halfway, but I, I for the rest of my life, including sitting here today, I remember that look in her face of just being afraid and wanting to leave. And as we're walking out, I look around, and there, I mean, there wasn't a lot of people in there. Don't get me wrong, but there were some people in there, and they had kids. And as I'm walking out behind her, because she basically ran out the door, I wonder if that lady is scared and her kids in here. I have a kid once again, and I would do anything to protect my kid. I can't imagine having no choice but to bring my child, whether I was a male or female, into a scary environment because I have to get my laundry clean. But I just remember thinking, if we do buy this, every decision that I make in my business for the rest of my life is going to be predicated on. Would what, what I feel comfortable with my wife and my children coming here and doing laundry? And that still is my guiding, one of probably three or four guiding lights to this day, is I don't want any customer to feel that way, but I, I use her as kind of the barometer. The first thing I do is I look at it and say, okay, would I be comfortable, regardless of whether she would be, would I be comfortable with my wife and kids coming here without me? And then the next question is, would she be comfortable bringing our wife and her herself and kids here without me? Mm-hmm. That drove me quite a bit, and it still does to this day as to this is where we bought the wanderbat because we did eventually buy it and we'll get into that. but we we eventually bought the business. but that drives me to this day as to my standards.
2: That story resonates with me because we had a very similar uh, right. experience with with ours. but you know, I, I'm curious how how did you get from I want to leave to okay, Dave, <laughs> let's <laughs> Let's buy the laundromat with the homeless guy living in the back. And well, I'll I'll let her talk.
0: I'll let her talk, but she went to the closing not wanting to buy this laundromat, just to be clear. (laughs) Um, So she didn't get there. She just knew the train and left the station.
1: Yeah, (laughs) I I would say that I told you in the beginning my parents had taught me to like support each other and love each other unconditionally. I was just being supportive. (laughs) One thing was this was kind of his venture. Not, not mine. I was supporting him in his venture more than it was my venture too. Because at this time, also he took me to see this laundromat. I was um, very pregnant with our second son, <laughs> so I had a lot of other stuff on my plate. I was still teaching full time. I was very pregnant, so I was kind of worried about all that kind of stuff. I don't think until I signed the closing papers was I for sure this was because we had other ventures that had went. You know, so far, and then it'd be like, oh yeah, that's not a good idea, kind of thing. I think I was still going into the closing, not knowing if maybe this was going to be a, oh no, never mind, we're not going to do this kind of thing. (laughs) I was never passionate about it or sold on it like it was something for me. It was more like. I'm going to support my husband and the thing he's passionate about,
0: and he is out of his mind. Yes, and that, that's honestly
1: is probably a. Which good
0: remains discussion.
1: true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, still, um, you know, he's he's very passionate about our businesses. I have roles in our business that I do, but it's it's all about supporting his dream uh, more mm. than it's my dream.
0: Just a. To- uh, go off of that a little bit on the way to closing another vivid memory for me. Cause you have to remember I'm driving to the closing. She thinks I'm insane, but this is my dream. This is when I was five years old and I had my kindergarten graduation. They ask all the little kids what they want to be when they grow up and he wants to be a police officer and so on and so forth. When I was five years old and they asked me that at my graduation, I said, I want to be a business owner. And at this point I'm 33 and I am on my way. And all I have to do is sign up. You know, six-inch stack of papers because <laughs> it was an SBA. It was an SBA. It was an SBA loan. <laughs> so I had to sign a six-inch stack of papers and sign my entire life over to them, and I would own my own business. Now that business was losing money, uh, so most people call that a hobby, not a business. I vividly remember that we're roughly 15 minutes from our credit union where we're going to close, and we're we're driving, and she looks at me and she goes, "You are really going to do this, aren't you?" <laughs> And that's what, when she said her side of the story there, I was like, oh, I believe that's what was going through mm-hmm. her mind because she's like, okay, we're getting off awful of close to this place. Like, <laughs> and I was. I can't uh, wait for the fizzle out. You right. Know? <laughs> and and she's apparently really hoping. And I'm like, oh, there is nothing on planet Earth that'll stop me from buying this place mm-hmm. at this point. I had done all my homework, I had done four or five months of due diligence. I had already, before we even closed, found a phenomenal equipment distributor. And I didn't know anywhere near what I know now. I just knew that I already had found several of the key components that I needed to be successful, because I've always known that business is a team game. Um, I had a lot of confidence in my wife. I knew she had accounting background, so we would figure out the books. And by we, I mean she. Um, and uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I, we had found a local attorney that knew business stuff fairly really well, and he had guided us a little, and we had, we had put together the makings of a, of a team. And I felt like I had done my homework. I had visited, you know, as far as market research, I didn't really know what I was looking at, but I went around to pretty much all the laundromats in the local community within 15 or 20 miles of this store and looked at them to see like, okay, well, if I fix this up, I mean, if I spend money on this and time and sweat and equity, you know, the business going to go up. And I didn't know a ton about the industry, but I just knew that when I looked at all the other laundromats, they were every bit as bad as this one. And I knew the community and I was like, well, there's a bunch of people that live around here and they got to have somewhere to do their laundry. There's a lot of apartments and trailer parks and very, very modest entry level, single family homes and things, you know, starter homes as they call them and things like that. And I'm like, yeah, like these people have to do their laundry somewhere. So I, I just felt, you know, I felt very confident that I had done my homework and I knew I had way more to do. But the one thing that I've never lacked, I've never had much confidence in. You know, I have a terrible memory. I was awful at school. But one thing I've always had tremendous confidence in myself in is if I ever decide to do anything, there is nothing that will stop me. Nothing. And I knew that as a little tiny kid.
1: It's where the Um, stubbornness is actually beneficial.
0: Yes. And even as a kid. Stubbornness turn
1: into grit. Like you won't give up if you want something. Yeah.
0: And even as a little kid, I knew that about myself. And I didn't care if anyone on planet Earth knew that about me or believed that about me. I wasn't the most confident child in the world. But I did have this insane confidence in myself that if I decided to do something, my point is that I knew I would figure it out. Like, I I didn't know how I would do it, but I knew I would not stop and I would figure it out.
1: And going back to, you know, buying this first laundromat even though I was scared with what it was and I didn't see the potential that he was seeing. I knew when in supporting him, like I trusted him, I didn't trust the laundromat, but I knew whether this venture happened or not, or whether it was a success or not, I didn't know if it was going to be successful, but I knew he wouldn't let our family suffer that it didn't matter. You know, if this whole laundromat thing ended up being a total bust, we lost money on it or whatever. And he had to, we had to pay the bills by him delivering pizzas when he got home from work, that he would do that. You know, so I knew we were going to be okay. So I think that was part of it too, is just with my trust in him, not necessarily the laundromat he picked out, <laughs> that I could support him in this venture. So mm-hmm. another thing he didn't mention is we closed with a two-week old. Yes, two weeks after giving birth,
0: we buy a laundromat. <laughs> Yeah, I actually, I'm glad you brought that up. I totally dropped the ball on that one. Yeah, we're driving to the closing and we have a two-week-old at home with grandma and grandpa come over to watch the two-week-old. It's the first time we had left the baby and we have a two-year-old home. We have a toddler too. And my daughter who was probably 10 or 11, 11, something like that. Part of our discussions in this couple month process was you couldn't have picked a worse time to do this. (laughs) And I'm a firm believer in, You know, when opportunity knocks, you just, it's the right opportunity. You just don't turn it down. You figure it out. It's just not an option. And I think she, I know she would have been totally okay with, hey, if you want to buy eight laundromats someday, fine. But can we like wait two years? Can we wait
1: till we don't have toddlers? (laughs) Definitely (laughs) not a newborn and a toddler.
0: Um, There was a lot of guilt for me associated with making that decision. But I believed then that it was the right decision, even though I knew she was also right. I knew it was horrific timing, but I also knew we weren't in an, an ideal situation. We hadn't inherited a bunch of money. We couldn't just get a business whenever we wanted. We were going to have to go in to a business like this. I knew I would have to keep my full-time job. So there's not a whole lot of businesses out there that are passive or semi-passive where you can work a full-time job. We had roughly $20,000, $25,000 saved up at this point. There's not a lot of businesses that you can acquire and run, quote unquote, on the side of a, of a job and build them into build them into something that's going to be profitable. One of the things that's unique about the laundromat industry is that there is a pretty low barrier to entry if you're willing to do extreme things, which I was. And I knew I didn't have another option. I didn't just have a half a million dollars sitting around and be like, I'm going to buy a pizza franchise or whatever. And so I knew that the opportunities that we would have based on our financial situation were pretty limited. I couldn't pass it up because it was part of it too was I looked at this and said, well, there, there aren't too many situations where we can do something like this, but this thing is also two miles from our house. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And so, okay, maybe I wait a year or two and our kids are a little older. It's a better situation. And maybe I find another business or laundromat that I can enter with very little capital and quote unquote run semi-passively. But wherever I do it, it's not going to be two miles from my house. It may be 45 minutes from my house at that point. Mm -hmm. And I knew that I would have to, I had an hour commute myself, each direction to work. I knew that no matter what happened, the fact that it being two miles from my house was going to help with this insaneness. Honestly, looking back on what it took to get that done and stuff, there's like, that's probably the only thing that kept us sane, or at least me sane, probably her too. I
1: don't know if I was
0: feeling everly sane at that time. And she probably didn't think I was sane either. (laughs) <laughs> um, was was the fact that the really the only thing we had going for us was that it was close to our house. So if I was going to work till 10, 11 midnight and go home and sleep, at least I had a two-minute drive. I didn't have an hour drive. And so, yeah, that was, I mean, we eventually went to closing in and in a, bought a, you know, I guess you can always be in a worse situation. Obviously, if I had turned around on the way there and left, she would have been tickled pink to not close on that business. <laughs> right. But obviously, the the reality is she was willing to do it. So, but I know, can't
1: say it was my dream. No, no
0: <laughs> far, far, far from her dream. And I don't. Not I don't too many know that people have that dream. I was gonna say I don't know that too many people. I mean, us, us entrepreneurs and business owners are a special breed for sure. Even we know that about ourselves. Entrepreneurship aside, I don't know that anyone grows up dreaming of a laundromat. Under Definitely any, not this one. Under, under, <laughs> yeah. And if you do, it's a, it's a very nice laundromat. It's it not, is nice it, now. A, <laughs> if you do, it's not the laundromat we purchased. That's no. for sure. tell us what that was like after you closed so we closed on the laundromat and i had taken the day off of work she was on maternity leave we signed the papers we left we obviously met the previous owner um, at the closing and our agreement was when we got done signing the papers you know he obviously got his check he would follow us back to the store and give us the whole you know the bucket of keys and all the craziness that comes with a coin laundry. And he would kind of, you know, spend a few hours kind of showing me the basics of, you know, how to open a change machine and just silly stuff. Short of maybe my children being born and my wedding day, I'm not sure I've ever been more excited in my life. And I'm just like, the only thing I knew was this is mine. It may be a hot mess, but it's my hot mess.
2: Yeah. Well, listen, you guys are inspiring your story both sides of it is very inspiring and i think eye-opening too right like you said like we've mentioned already people need to know what they're what it's going to take to find success man i just thank you guys and cannot wait for
0: future episodes thank you for being willing to
1: guest host
0: our (laughs) co-host thank you for helping us tell our story
1: (laughs) Curious how we turned one store into millionaire status? Continue our journey in part two of this episode.
0: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.